Welcome to Funny Old World, a podcast hosted by me, Juliet Kinsman, and Simon London. It's us sharing entertaining conversations which make it easier to better understand the causes, symptoms, and hopefully solutions to the climate emergency with a little much-needed laughter. Because there is a climate emergency. In each episode, we'll be discussing serious topical sustainability stories and chat to some of the world's most thought-provoking experts. And because, let's face it, Everyone's feeling a little sustainability fatigue, so we also need to know the facts. And goodness knows we need a little humour in our eco-anxiety-riddled lives. Juliet is a journalist and a sustainability expert, author and travel editor, and I'm a media pundit, but most importantly intellectually curious, which hopefully means I'll be asking questions that you, the listeners, want to know the answer to as much as I do. Each episode, we're going to tackle a complex topic, weigh up the trade-offs, and hopefully empower all to make better decisions when striving for impactability. These conversations were made possible by Weaver, a sustainability management system based on the framework of the long run. Go to weaver.earth to find out more. So, Jules, we're on episode three, talking rubbish. Did you like that? Yeah. Good. Um, so you promised last episode that we'd be talking about waste and rubbish and one thing. But before we get into that, here's a question for you. Uh, you see that can of drink in front of me? I am going to open it at the end of this episode. Will I be putting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere? And if so, uh, will it have a detrimental effect on the greenhouse gas? On the, on the planet because of the greenhouse gases, etc. So, oh, we're still, are we still on the, we're still on the carbon from last episode. Oh, goodness. Hang on, let me just consult our research centre. I love this because she has to go on Google now. That's what you can hear. Google? I use the search engine Ecosia. It's, it's a much more ethical search engine and they plant trees for all your searches. But look, I'm on here, research centre, and I found an article in the Chicago Tribune and it says here that... I'm reading through it about carbonated soft drinks. Americans love to drink those. It's saying that, uh, well, about 0.001% of all carbon dioxide emissions in the States are created by carbonated soft drinks. So it's the can I'm more concerned with this episode. And where's it going to go? What are we going to do with our waste? Ah, okay. So yes, I am putting a little bit in the atmosphere, but it's so tiny not to worry about it. But as for the can, well, I'm obviously going to uh, finish my drink and then uh, jump in my car, wind down the window and chuck it into a hedge or failing that because you pulled a face, drive down to Cornwall and chuck it in the sea. Well, that's a, be- a beautiful, provocative image, you eco-saboteur. <laughs> we are ridiculous. So where, where, will it, where will it end up if I, if I were to do that? And sh- you know... So that really does depend. I mean, I'm looking forward to us chatting to Dyson Chi over in Hawaii in a bit. And also a chap who works in an organisation which mm, speaks, it's between the mayor's office here, here in London and all the different boroughs trying to work out what to do with their waste. Because I don't know about you, but, but I lie awake at night wondering where it all goes. Okay, so I know that we're going to be touching on recycling in this episode. So I need full disclosure. I need to give you full disclosure. <laughs> I hate recycling. It drives me crazy. It's not that I hate the process of recycling. It's just, it really confuses me because I stand in front of the, all those different bins with my disposable coffee cup and I don't know whether I put it in this bin here because uh, it's got a plastic lid and it's got a sort of cardboardy body, though I believe that cardboard has plastic in it now. And 
I just think it's really, really difficult. I saw this news report a couple of years ago about a Japanese town. It's a town in Japan where they recycle absolutely everything. Everything is broken down into its component pieces and recycled. If I lived there, it would bring me out in hives, not knowing where to put everything. We all experience that paralysis. Gosh, I mean, you know, the, the other complication is... Well, you just said your disposable coffee cup, so you fessed up to that. I personally use a refillable one. But um, the the other nonsense in all this world is, of course, the bioplastics, the compostable, the the biodegradable. What does this all mean? Because chances are when you throw that, that supposedly good guy cup into, uh, well, recycling, typical recycling, that's just going to contaminate it because it can't be recycled. Or you might just Take, take it and throw it into regular trash, which is going to landfill, which means it won't be in the right conditions to, to compost or, or biodegrade. So it's all a bit of a nonsense. It's all a bit muddy and murky. And I think that because it's a bit muddy and murky, people are kind of quite reticent to do this. I, I know I'm supposed to be the voice in here that I am Mr. Intellectually Curious, don't really know the stuff, and you're more of the expert. But I know that I'm speaking for a lot of people who would love to come away if it was the one thing from this episode that they took away. It's how to be a better recyclist because I'm not proud of it, but I've thought about hiding batteries in my organic waste just because I want to get rid of them. And I know that's wrong, but... I'm no more confession. What do, what do we do? What do <laughs> we, we mean do? to smuggle them out and you can still you hold your head up high as a member of society. Yes. So look, I'm, you've, you've very kindly called me an expert. Each topic that we talk about is is requires expertise in each tiny niche within that. So I'm certainly someone who has a broader understanding, but it's so, so complicated and it's so it, it varies from wherever you are. What I will just say, and something we have to have front of mind is in nature... In nature, there's no such thing as waste. Everything plays its role. And our problem in society and the way we live, you've already touched upon it, is we're addicted to disposability and convenience. Single use this, disposable that, that is a problem. So something you'll hear a lot about in waste management, because you're having all those waste management chats, I know you are, Simon, are the (laughs) R's. The R's. So you could say there are three R's. Reduce, refuse, and recycle, or in whatever, whatever order makes most sense. But, you know, to be honest with you, you could take it up to six. So you, first of all, you're going to refuse, then you're going to reduce, then you're going to reuse where you can, maybe repurpose, then you're going to recycle. And I haven't even mentioned the other R, rot. So that's when you take organic waste and you let it ferment as nature intends, so it either becomes compost or it plays its role where it naturally biodegrades. So all we want to do is get back to close to nature's cycles as possible and limit as much waste as we can. Okay, I like the idea of the R's. Um, Strange as though it may seem, Julia, I do not sit around having discussions about waste management. I'm not in the Sopranos. But I would like to go through the R's as you've put them up. So wait, wait there, the first one, refuse. That's a really, really good one, isn't it? Totally. It's The more we can reduce that's in circulation, the better we can do. My friend James Woolman wrote a book called Stuffocation. I always find that concept of us being suffocated by all the stuff around us really, really powerful. So when, and I'm assuming refuse, not refuse. <laughs> refuse. Okay. I love that about the English language, <laughs> don't you? Yeah. <laughs> so refuse is 
I go into a shop and they say, oh, would you like a bag for that? And I go, no, I have my rucksack, another R there, and uh, I pop it in there. So it's just about saying no to... If you can say no when they ask you something, then say no. Limit stuff in circulation. Just use less. Um, the the whole the whole way that waste typically worked or, or was developed. If you look at the sort of manufacturing production line, we would take natural resources, we make something in our factories, we use them, and then we throw them away. That's a line. That's linear. But in a circular economy, uh, and the way nature works, and the sort of the practices nature shows us works best, is when you take something, you use it and then it's repurposed or it has another role or another lifespan and so it joins that lovely virtuous circle okay what was the second one was it reuse or well it can be you know i mean remember we're we're riffing here on lots of ours um i would say reduce so first of all you're going to refuse second of all just reduce how much stuff you're using so just re that's again that's part of reusing it's 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 about reusing the coffee cup rather than having a new coffee cup every time and if you do want to use that coffee cup every time, just remember that on an eco-friendly program, you can put it in your dishwasher and it's actually better than... <laughs> hey, if you're going to teach if you're going to teach me this stuff, I'm going to throw it back at you to show you that I'm learning. But you have to remember, it depends on the setting and it depends whether that dishwasher is completely full. So, uh, yeah, so reduce and, and reuse. Then the next R... Well, well, you're really breaking it down, but let, let's think about, you know, in terms of repurposing things. So one of the biggest contributors, I mean, all of our conversations that we have will overlap. So in the carbon conversation, one of the guiltiest sectors uh, in terms of creating carbon emissions is construction and building. So they're responsible for, I mean, seriously, like around 40 percent, maybe a bit more of all carbon emissions. So if you look at a building, instead of just knocking it down, chucking all of that away, repurpose those bricks, repurpose all those building materials. That's what we need to do. What we need as individuals, as businesses, is to, we need behavioral change. We need to do things better and more, big old R here, be more responsible. Actually, we did talk earlier about repurposing and I really love that idea of, you were saying about the heat that came from all the servers, from computer servers, and you can heat buildings with actually... That, yeah. That's another R. <laughs> Look at me. That, that's an R. Can I have that one, Where's please? Where's the R? I've lost it. Because <laughs> you're repurposing. Oh, you're repurposing. That's perfect. Well, that, and that's part of the whole circular economy idea, the whole closed loop. Um, and doing things where, you know, the byproduct of one process, it supports another process. So then we've got the next R, which is recycling. I think everyone imagines recycling. They They picture these sort of little imagine you know these fairies who somehow when we put things out for recycling they're going to take those things and magic them into brand new perfect versions of what they were before but it doesn't work like that and i see i think i saw a documentary a while back where where it was about um four percent of what we chuck in our recycling bins actually ends up in the right place or you know um when we speak to the experts that will be totally different pretending depending on the material what it is where it's going, uh, and where you live in the world. So it's, it's, it can be complicated. That's why the reduce one is so key. Sorry to whine on about recycling, but you are a captive audience, both the people forced to listen to this and you forced to be in a room with me. But why can't countries standardise things? You know, we talked about CFCs and the ozone layer in an earlier episode, and we got the world to agree to ban them. How do we make the world change stuff? I mean, if they had a coffee cup that had 
the body of the coffee cup was X and the top was Y and we knew where to put X and we knew what to do with Y, that would make life so much simpler. I just get the feeling that we're up against so many obstacles and it's really difficult to get any change done. You know what was really inspiring is to talk to Dyson Chi. I think we should speak to him in Hawaii. He is someone who, back when he was a teenager, he actually influenced legislation. And that's what you're talking about. That's what we need to do. We need to talk louder about everything, whether it's waste, whether it's the chemicals in in the products that we use, um, and actually get to, to a government level. So if we chat to him and hear about how waste has played a role in his life and how actually he's he's been able to to make change. Hi, everyone. My name is Dyson Chi. I'm 20 years old. I reside in Honolulu, Hawaii. So I live in a place that most people consider to be paradise. But for me, that paradise has its own price. I'm talking about the climate impacts, the environmental impacts that I see in my home every single day here. So when I was a little kid, I would go to the beach all the time. And that became my second home. I, I would say that being able to go to the beach every single day is one of the biggest blessings that I've had living on an island state. But the problem is, is that as I grew up, I began to notice that these beaches that I was at became less and less pristine. As I got to around the age of 13, I began to notice that when I went in the water, I would see a potato chip wrapper, something that I had not normally seen in the beach before. And among other things, there were plastic nets on the corals, there are plastic straws all over the beach, microplastics were everywhere on some of our beaches. And it was just horrendous, this thing called plastic pollution was destroying the very second home that I cherished and cared for. So from that point, I decided to look into what can I do about this issue of plastic pollution. This was a very new issue to me. So I did some research. I attended events that, for example, the local chapter of the Surfrider Foundation held to get a better understanding of what this issue was. And so I came across the solution of doing things like beach cleanups, of reducing my own consumption of these single-use plastics. And that was a very, you know, feel-good act. I felt like I was contributing, but I realized that there was much more that needed to be done. Those individual actions are a good place to start, but alone they are not going to be able to solve the issue of plastic pollution um, and just of the incredibly wasteful societies that many of us live in. So I looked into the issue further. What else could I do? other than reducing my own footprint. And I came across this solution called civics, called policy. And a lot of people, at least back then, thought of policy and politics as kind of a dirty word. Uh, but it was funny because civics, on the other hand, had this image of being patriotic by being civically engaged. And yet politics and civics are incredibly intertwined. The two of them are both part of our democratic tool that we can utilize to make our country and our world a better place. I might just be one person and one voice, but if we could organize as a community, if we could get hundreds, thousands of people, even millions, to get involved with specific issues and to promote legislation that reduce the amount of single-use plastics and other you know, items that are wasteful, then we could not just enact changes in our own personal lives, 
but we could enact changes across the entire country and we can inspire other countries, other states to make those changes as well. There are a lot of very difficult moments. It was by no means a straight and easy path. I remember testifying on bills for two or three years back to back and every single one of them died. Not a single one of them passed and became law. And that was very disheartening. But despite that heartbreak, what was more motivating and more powerful was my will to protect the place that I call home. So eventually this legislation came up at our city council called Bill 40 that would ban a variety of disposable plastics. I'm talking single-use plastic straws, utensils, styrofoam, clamshells, cups, lids, a ton of things. It was one of the most comprehensive pieces of single-use plastic legislation in the entire country, possibly even the world. Most people thought there was no way we were ever going to pass that bill. And it required a tremendous amount of collaboration and organizing between youth, government leaders, businesses who cared about the issue of single-use plastics, nonprofit organization, community members, people from all walks of life who just wanted to protect the place that they called home. Spoiler alert, we did pass the bill. And so that success has since spurred me on to get other pieces of legislation passed. Hawaii just recently shut down its last remaining coal plant. So for the first time, we are, or at least the first time in, what, I think 100 years or so, we are not burning any coal in Hawaii. And these kinds of successes are leading to the future that my generation wants to see and that people and potentially your generation want to leave me to inherit. I really enjoyed speaking to Dyson in Hawaii. He always has actually great advice for travelers also. He always says, think of where we visit as being someone else's home and treat it in that way. Wow, that's absolutely amazing that he actually got a bill passed. That is young people, eh? Um, have you ever been to Hawaii, JK? I haven't. Um, I'm going to give you some quick facts about Hawaii. Uh, researchers, please. Thank you. Fact one. The island of Oahu has the world's largest wind turbine. Two blades that span 400 feet. Um, Hawaii produced a third of the entire world's commercial pineapples. What is a commercial pineapple compared to just a regular pineapple? Um, it's the one that hasn't sold out yet and is still, <laughs> it's still quite underground. Um, and also Hawaii is the only state in the USA that grows coffee beans. That is, that's some great facts. I will just say coffee, the carbon footprint of coffee. That's something worth thinking about. One of the many things that will let everyone else ponder that we can't cover in this series. Okay, but back to Dyson just quickly, though, and him affecting change. It's basically about not being afraid to shout out, isn't it? You know, you, you would say, be the change that you want to see in the world. I know that's like a cliche, but it's true. I mean, absolutely. I think Dyson showed us that well, he's an activist in, in, you know, declaration and in nature. Uh, he, he saw a problem. He, he campaigned for it. And they actually, he saw that convert into change in legislation. That's the holy grail. I do think, though, that making litter and polluting sort of socially unacceptable is a good thing. When we were kids, do you remember the, just call somebody a litter bug was a really, really bad insult. And it was, there were always anti-litter campaigns everywhere. I remember they got ABBA to sign up to a UK litter campaign, the Bee Gees. And when we were kids, there used to be that TV show, The Wombles and about these weird furry creatures that lived on a common in London and went round picking up litter and 
reusing it, recycling it into useful stuff. Um, I was in a kind of youth group <laughs> on a Saturday morning and we used to go wombling and that was going around our local community and picking up litter. Simon Wombling at weekends. That's a whole <laughs> that's a whole TV series in itself. So listen, what you've highlighted actually is a couple of things which are really, really key and important. So we had our behavioral sort of pattern set. It was, you know, made clear to us that it wasn't cool to litter when we were kids. And it shows us the power of influence when you really set some boundaries or you really set, uh, you know, what is right and wrong with children, okay? So that you've talked about a TV show, The Wombles, that lots of people in the UK will definitely remember and love. Um, and it's quite interesting because I sort of observe now rather uncomfortably, I watch people in, in developed countries commenting on all the litter in the developing world. You know, they might look at, let's say, Bali. I actually lived in Bali for, for a little, little while with my daughter. She went to the green school there specifically so that we could get uh, more immersed in a sustainable way of living. And yet, Bali is very much a poster destination for having all that plastic waste on its shoreline. And you see all those hideous images. But what I struggle with is, why do they have all of that? Because there is an education around what to do with waste. There isn't the infrastructure. No, there aren't the systems in place. But more than anything, maybe one generation or two generations ago, the Balinese were living in a way where they were living much closer to nature. They didn't have all this disposable stuff. It's us, the developed world, who very much exported or given them these consumer goods. Let's look at single-use plastic sachets or cleaning products. And then there we are, wagging our fingers at them. But we should also be all responsible for educating each other on the short and long-term implications of waste, don't you think? I do think that. And I also think that incentivization plays a part here in that. Yeah, but you also just need, you need the practices in place. It's so different, as I say, regionally. I think what we should do is probably talk to Anthony Buchan. He works in an organization called ReLondon. Let's really grill him on the technicalities of waste and how to deal with it. So thank you so much, Anthony, for talking to us. I mean, you know, you you're, you you live to sort out rubbish. I mean, <laughs> talk to us. Yeah, sure. So hi, I'm Anthony Buchan. I'm from an organisation called ReLondon. And we're, we're here working in London, working with all of our stakeholders here in, in the capital in the UK to try and help reduce the amount of waste that we all produce daily. And it's a really exciting time, actually, to be working in this sector. Yes, you know, there is a climate crisis. Yes, there is a, an ecological emergency. You know, and we're just coming out the back of, of the COVID pandemic, and we're kind of recovering from kind of the economic, social and health impacts of that. And you know, that in the UK, that, that is very present in the, in the cost of living crisis that we've got at the moment. But I think, you know, the circular economy offers us an opportunity where if we, we can do the right thing for the planet, by stopping the huge amount of wastage, but that can also be really good for us and our pockets. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. I, I, I've been talking about the circular economy a lot. Would you just explain that in simple terms so people can really visualise what that means and why it's so significant, actually, in, in every aspect of sustainability? The circular economy, we are coming from a place of what is known as the linear economy, the kind of traditional economy, the make, use, dispose economy. We buy something, we consume it, it reaches the end of its life, 
and we put it in the bin and we kind of forget about it. And the circular economy is trying to keep the embedded value in the stuff that we consume, whether that be a mobile phone full of rare earth metals or a plastic water bottle made from fossil-derived oil. It's trying to keep the value in that product at the highest value and reuse it and prevent it from ever going out of use. So we maximize the value of of the stuff that we're using. Okay, Anthony, here's a question for you. Why is recycling so complicated? Waste management and, and kind of recycling, it is complicated. It shouldn't be. So in really basic terms, you know, recycling is us collecting all of the materials that we you know, use on a daily basis from the, the stuff that we consume. So plastic bottles, paper, cans, etc. that we, we kind of use as part of our daily commodities, collecting them all together. And then they, they get shipped off to uh, facilities that sort them out into their relevant material streams, at kind of processing plants. And then we have material streams of a pure product. So a, a metal stream, a plastic stream, etc. I'm hearing shipped off, by the way. That always makes me suspicious. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're quite right. But um, I say shipped off, I meant really just transported. However, we are living in a global economy and these are global commodities. Plastics, metals, paper, they are global commodities. And the stuff that we use is not always made within our domestic boundaries. The places that are producing the stuff that we are consuming need those commodities back in order to be able to continue to produce the stuff that we want to consume. So it is not necessarily a bad thing if it is part of a global supply chain. But essentially, yes, it goes off somewhere. So the, the tins go off, they get smelted back down, they get produced into lovely metal sheets that can then be reformed into new tins to contain your baked beans. So on that, on a really basic form that's what recycling is why do you think um it's not sexy why do you think that people don't want to shout about it like they do other things i think because waste has always been the dirty afterthought of the way that we consume things you know it's not a fashionable or trendy thing to to talk about and i think that's kind of systemic we all know i think that when we buy a single-use water bottle and then we throw it away, it is the wrong thing to do. And so maybe it's something that, as I say, only by talking about it more, then it becomes more front and centre in people's minds. And, you know, then you do get that kind of social pressure. That is how legislation and policy, the policy landscape gets created because there is a demand for it. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think it just needs to become the norm. I mean, I saw there are people I work with will pull out a, a single-use plastic bottle of water and think nothing of it. And for me, they may as well be sparking up a cigarette in a near natal ward <laughs> it's that <laughs> jarring but i i we yeah, have a long yeah. way to go yeah i mean i think you know it's one of those things isn't it and we, we all talk about energy and transport as kind of these great creators of carbon emissions but actually 45 percent of the damaging greenhouse emissions contributing to the climate emergency you know they, they come from the stuff we consume the clothes we buy the products we use the kind of the food we eat so it's a huge quantum of the kind of a contributor to this climate crisis. And I don't think, you know, people really realise that. They don't think about it because it's not as obvious 
and as present maybe as transport or, or energy is. Thank you so, so much. I found that really interesting. I love geeking out about garbage. I mean, you know, waste management might not be the most interesting topic to a lot of people, but it's something we're all connected to. Every day we throw things away. It's just that we become, I don't know, we don't really think about where it's going and what the implications of that might be. We love convenience. We love disposability. All of these packaging and these things as well, I mean, it's all connected. It's required petrochemicals probably to manufacture all that packaging. Um, I think also, when you look at the stats and you, and you imagine the volumes we're talking about here. So I believe that the pandemic itself was re responsible for generating around 30,000 tonnes extra of plastic waste that just, that's just from COVID-19 that ended up in our oceans. I suppose back in the day, it wasn't so much a problem. If you ever see anything that's to do with archaeological digs like the Romans or the Egyptians, they always say we can find out so much about them because of the waste that they left behind. But what's the waste we're leaving behind going right. to say about us? He liked a KFC. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. So moving forward then, um, I kind of sort of feel better about... Uh, tackling my recycling just because I'm going to use one or two of the many R's that you've thrown at me uh, today. Uh, I think refuse is probably the best one for me anyway. Yeah, I mean, if I think if any of us saw all of the single-use plastic that we were responsible for helping generate piled up, and there are artists who've done this, you know, there are people who have made installations out of this, we'd feel really, really ashamed. And what we have to remember is, you know, it, this stuff does stay in the system. So, we, but but it's just like it's going back to that whole seatbelt conversation. Until the government makes it illegal, in our case, often they, they restricted the use of plastic bags. There was a levy put on there. Until it's mandated, we'll just carry on doing these, living how we want to live. Yeah, and I'm going to be more like Dyson, um, not the Hoover company, but more like Dyson Chi that we uh, heard from earlier in the episode, and. Just see if there's something that can be done by affecting change. I think that's really, really important. Um, before we go, though, one last thing that I wanted to talk about, and one of the R's, actually, and that was rot. Oh, yeah? Oh, you want to bring that up? Okay, well, that's kind of a crucial one. It's interesting. So you're talking about fermentation. and actually Yeah, because I wondered whether it's worth me getting a compost bin, chucking all my stuff out there, because I chuck it out the front into a green bin, so I might as well chuck it. Well, you mean back. food scraps and make some nice, rich nature's fertilizer compost? Yeah, yeah, I'd be up for doing that. Right, yeah, no, it's great. It's great. I mean, you know, it's just it can be a bit of a hassle. It can start to smell. You might get rats. Rats. <laughs> oh, there's always there's always a trick with this green lifestyle, isn't there? Um, what are we talking about next episode? Oh dear, I'm just laughing. This it's the yin and the yang, you know. Um, Sometimes there's a catch, you know, but really sustainability is about being more efficient and it can be all about cost savings. We're going to talk about that next episode. Sustainability is going to save me money. Yeah, seriously. We're going to put the eco into economy. Like what you did there. Um, looking forward to it. Thanks, Juliet. <laughs>